in the book of Acts, the ninth chapter, the book of Acts chapter 9, if you're joining us via the live stream broadcast, thank you so much. I know that my uh, mom and dad and I believe my sisters are watching tonight. I expect that they will be giving heavily in the offering by the online mechanisms. <laughs> Y'all help me say amen right there. Amen. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, again, Pastor, thank you for continuing to extend this weekend. It would have been so easy just to have scrapped the entire process and start again, but you chose not to. We appreciate that, and I cannot say enough about my friend. He's one of my best friends in this world, Creston Tomlin. I say without fear of contradiction, there may be some as good, but there are none better than the man that just exited stage left. He is one of the most talented and anointed. That's what makes the difference. Leading. That's why he has been and continues to serve as the worship leader for our annual Act 6-4 conference, which is a minister's outreach that we have every January. Reaches somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 pastors, evangelists, missionaries, and Christian educators from around these United States. Your pastor has been a part for a number of years and an avid supporter, and we are very thankful for that. Acts chapter 9, we're going to begin reading with verse number 10. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. Don't you love that? A street called Straight. One of my mentor pastors was asked, how do I make it to heaven? He said, turn right and go straight. <laughs> Hello. Turn right to Jesus. Get on the straight and narrow. You'll make it, friend. He said, look for the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For he prays, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to your servants at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go your way. For he is a chosen vessel to me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house. Putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto you in the way as you came, has sent me, that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight and arose and was baptized. Now I want to use for my subject tonight a message that I have been preaching in virtually every location for the last 12 months. 
And that subject matter is this, navigating the realm of risk. Navigating the realm of risk. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you again for your manifest presence that we have undoubtedly felt in this place tonight. Thank you for the gifts of the Spirit that continue to operate in the midst of your church that bring exhortation and edification to the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you would see fit to sovereignly stop by and lift us up tonight, to lift us up, to strengthen us, to encourage us to look and call upon you. I pray tonight that you will help us to instruct your people through the precepts and principles of your written word. And I pray that faith would begin to stir and it would begin to arise. And at the conclusion of this service, there would be men and women that would file into this altar ready to take a risk for the sake of heaven's cause. We'll ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I am, as my friends can attest to, a person who practices meditation with great regularity. What I mean by that is I am not the type of individual that reads large portions of text. I normally consume small portions of text, and then I meditate on those smaller portions of text for hours on end that oftentimes turn, turns into days on end that may turn into weeks, even months on end. I meditate until I feel like God's spirit rolls back a curtain and begins to give me insight into that particular text. Some time ago in a season of meditation, I was just thinking on the things of God and the things of ministry, and I felt like the Lord dropped something into my spirit that I want to share with you in this introduction tonight. I felt as though the Lord said to me, I want you to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. Now that sounds so simple. I want you to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. And I want you to understand early on in this message tonight that I do not stand here having obtained. I do not stand here having yet arrived, I don't even completely understand what that particular statement from the divine means in totality. But I have come to learn this as I have continued to meditate on that. I have come to learn that not only was God delivering a personal challenge for this evangelist, but God was going to use that as a springboard for me to deliver this as a corporate challenge to the church universal across this nation. Not only is God asking me to risk more for the sake of his kingdom, but I believe he's asking you to risk more for the sake of his kingdom. Y'all say amen. He wants us to risk more for the sake of the kingdom. And as I continued in my season of meditation, the spirit of the Lord then led me to our text tonight in this ninth chapter of the book of Acts. I had never preached on the person of Ananias. I had read the text time and again, but had never been led to use it as my chief text. 
But as I was led there by the Spirit of the Lord and I began to study the text, I believe that God lifted some of these principles and precepts that I'm going to share with you tonight off of the page and begin to show me a divine pattern as how I could successfully navigate the realm of risk and earn more reward for the sake of the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you nine or ten things tonight. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to write these things down. Number one, if you and I are going to successfully navigate the waters of the realm of risk or the realms of risk, we must first be ready to depart from our routine. This is the nicest little Methodist church I ever preached in. I said we must be ready to depart from the comfort and the safety of our routine. Understand that routine is the enemy of risk. I said routine is the enemy of risk. Routine is the polar opposite. Routine is the antithesis of risk. If you stay trapped in routine, you will never take a risk. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. If you stay trapped, if you stay bound, if you stay jailed in the cell, incarcerated by routine, you will never find yourself free to take a risk in this life in any arena whatsoever. Routine. But what I know about each and every one of us is that we so readily return to routine. We are so readily and willing to return to our routine. What are you saying, evangelist? I'm saying that nobody likes change. We love routine. We love it. Story is told of a man that turned 100 years of age. I've used this little illustration so many times because I think it's one of the greatest in illustrating our resistance toward change. He turns 100 years of age. Local newspaper dispatched a reporter to chronicle this man's century of living. He sat across the table from that elderly gentleman and he said, Sir, I can only imagine that in 100 years of living, you have seen countless changes in this world. The elderly gentleman looked at the newspaper reporter and responded, yes, sir, I have. And he said, I want to go on record in this article that I was against each and every one of them. <laughs> Come on, saints. That's the way we are. We resist change. But if we've learned anything from 2020, if we learned anything from this pandemic, we learn what the old idiom uh, uh, relates to us is very, very true and very, very sound. Hmm. Necessity is the mother of invention. And can I tell you there were numerous changes that took place in this nation due to the COVID-19 pandemic that will never go back to the way it was before. There are numerous businesses that have learned new ways to function. I've been in the airports. I've been traveling across the nation. Creston just flew here the other day. We were talking about the number of people that, that are still lacking in the air travel industry. You walk into the airport, and it's nothing like it was previously. And can I tell you that even with all the vaccines and all the things that are going on, it's my personal opinion, it may never go back to the way it was. Why? Because some of these uh, ginormous, uh, these gargantuan 
companies have realized. Why are we spending all this money flying people all over the world and putting them in hotels and feeding them when now the technology is available for us to do business in a much different way? They were forced to change, and they learned through change that they should have changed a long time before they changed. Oh, yes, some wonderful things can come from change. Some wonderful things can come from you and I leaving our routine. There are two primary reasons that we so readily return to our routine. Number one, as I've already mentioned, we resist change. Number two, we relish comfort. I said we relish comfort. We love it. It's our security blanket. We love comfort. We love predictability. I'm going to knock a home run right here. Are you ready? We love predictability. I'm talking about in the church. For 20 plus years, I've been on this evangelistic field. For 20 plus years, he's been on longer than I have. Brother Tomlin has been on the evangelistic field. And we can both attest to this fact. In the average Assemblies of God church, we can predict what's going to happen before the service ever begins. I can predict how long the song service is going to last. I can predict the way the preaching is going to go. I can predict the altar time. I can normally predict what my check will be pretty close. Because people get stuck in the rut of routine. And we have become so predictable. I don't mind telling you, I was keeping up this afternoon with the NFC Championship game. I was watching to see if Tom Brady was going to be able to lead the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to to the Super Bowl. And right now, there's another game going on, the AFC Championship game. And can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, here tonight? (laughs) Pastor, appreciate this. I just thought of it when I said that. I've got a habit of saying, can I, can, I say, can I tell you something? And Bobby Johnson pulled me aside when I was preaching camp meeting for him one time and said, don't ever say that again. Don't you ask him if you can tell him anything. You just tell him. <laughs> Anybody that knew Bobby Johnson knows that's exactly right. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to tell you why people pack ball stadiums to capacity and leave church pews vacant. Are you ready? It's really not hard to understand. It's not that they're carnal. That's not it. Oh, no. They pack that ball stadium because when they go, they do not know what the outcome of the game will be. They go to that game. They don't know if Green Bay is going to the Super Bowl. They don't know if Tampa Bay is going to the Super Bowl. They don't know if Tom Brady is going to find his 10th Super Bowl or is he going to end his career with the 9th Super Bowl. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. It's the unknown. It's the mystery of it all that draws them to those stadiums. It's the mystery of it all that makes those fans fanatics. That's what fans stands for. Can I tell you why they don't come to the house of God? Because they can predict The end before the beginning begins. They know what's going to happen before it ever happens. 
And God has been convicting this evangelist. He's been saying to me, how dare you stand up across this nation and preach and proclaim to people week after week that I'm a God that can do anything, yet you and they have trapped me into doing the same thing 52 Sundays of the year. If you're going to successfully navigate the realm of risk, you must be willing to depart the safety of the harbor of routine and set sail to uncharted waters to which you have never gone before. Number two, if you're going to successfully navigate the realm of routine, you must recognize that God wants to reveal himself to us and through us. I'm parsing my words carefully. I am sequentially using my vernacular with intent. God wants to reveal himself to you, then through you. Because God can never lead you or allow you rather to lead others to a place that you yourself have not yet been. God wants to reveal himself to us and through us and there are two primary vehicles that God uses for revelation. Okay? Number one, the number one way that God reveals himself to humanity is through the pages of this book. This is the number one tool of revelation. The Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And God reveals himself to humanity through the book. I told you a number of things this morning, giving you historical background. And then tongue-in-cheek, I said, some of you are wondering, where do you get all of this? It's in your Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, read it. It's an amazing book. You'll learn so much about God. For real, I know we say that, but for real, if we'll just look into the book, God will reveal himself to us. Don't want to stay there long because number two, I want you to see there is a second vehicle of revelation where God reveals himself both to us and through us. And we find it right here in our chief text. Listen, the outline's going to come right from the text, okay? Look with me in verse 10. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord, How? In a vision. God did not speak to Ananias through the word. He spoke to him supernaturally in a vision. You're here tonight at Mag Church, and I know your pastor, and I know the doctrine of this Assemblies of God Church, and I am so glad that we still believe in the revelation of God's word, but I'm also so glad that we still believe in the supernatural operation of the third person of the Godhead. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit still comes in dreams and in visions and in messages in tongues, as we saw tonight, and through interpretations and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and gifts of healing. I'm glad that he still moves supernaturally in our midst, revealing himself to us and through us. We have to recognize that if we're going to successfully navigate the realm of risk, we must see that God is wanting to reveal himself. Let me stop here and give you some, uh, some instruction that I think is a necessity 
If you ever receive a dream, if you ever receive a vision, if you ever receive a word, if you ever receive instruction that you believe might be a divine revelation from God by way of his spirit, and you discover that that divine revelation from God contradicts this written revelation, here's the instruction. Throw that divine revelation in the trash because it is not from God. That's why they're in sequential order. It's not from God. Any revelation that you receive from God will always align itself with the written revelation. So he wants to reveal himself to us and through us. Number three, the text is now going to become extremely interesting to me. We're going to see here now in this 10th chapter again that there was a certain disciple. Highlight that, underline that in your Bible. There's a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, let me give you the context of what's happening here. In the first few verses of this ninth chapter, you're going to find a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul is a brilliant man. Saul is an intellectual that really beggars description. Saul is a man of great influence. Saul is a man of great network. Saul has now made it his mission in life to rid the world of what he considered a scourge, that being Christianity. Saul has led the first martyr or martyrdom of the church, a man by the name of Stephen. He now has warrants in his hand that if he finds any Christian anywhere, they might be arrested and imprisoned. I believe that Saul was of such capability that if God himself had not divinely and directly intervened, I believe Saul would have carried out his desire and would have ridded the world of Christianity. That's what I believe. I believe that's why God had to divinely show up here in Acts chapter 9. And God shows up on the road to Damascus, knocks this man down from his beast of burden and begins to speak to him, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds, persecuting you? I don't even know who you are. I am Jesus, the target of your angst, your anger, your bitterness. He blinds him. Setting the stage for our chief text. Now understand who this man is going to go on to become because Saul of Tarsus is the same as Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle will be the chief among the apostles. That's what he says. He is the chief among apostles. He will write approximately half of the New Testament. And in writing half of the New Testament, he will unveil many of the details concerning what the true new covenant means, what was accomplished through Christ's work at Calvary. Now think about that. And God is going to pick a person to go and pray for this man. Now if I were the Lord, you better thank God I'm not the Lord. <laughs> but if I were the Lord... 
And I were going to pick someone to go and pray. This is just logical to me. This is just the way I meditate and have an analytical mind on the scriptures. If I'm going to have somebody go and pray for Saul, I'm going to have them go and pray for this man who was the lead persecutor of the church. I'm going to have them go and pray for this man who has just committed the first martyrdom of the church. I'm going to have them go and pray for this man who is brilliant and learned and influential and networked. I'm going to have them go and pray for this man who is going to be the chief among my apostles. He's going to write half of my Bible or the New Testament. And in the writing of that, he's going to unveil the meaning of the new covenant. Do you know who I'm going to send to pray for a man like that? I'm sending Peter, James, and John. Y'all come on. I'm sending the cream of the crop. I'm sending the best that I've got. Come on, saints. I'm sending a trio. I mean, a man like that, it's going to take three of us to deal with him. But that's not what God does, is it? God doesn't send Peter, James, and John. He doesn't send a divine duo. He doesn't even send one single person among that trio of his inner circle. No, God goes and picks out what the Bible calls a certain disciple. A man by the name of Ananias. You say, well, who is Ananias? I know Peter. I know James. I know John. But who is Ananias? That's a great question. I don't have much of an answer because the Bible says virtually nothing about this man. The Bible has precious little information about this particular character. There's a handful of verses that speak about him here in this ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And then you're going to find five more verses where Paul is giving his personal testimony about this particular occasion in Acts chapter 22. And that's all that the Bible says. So God passed over Peter, James, and John and went to an unknown commodity by the name of Ananias and picked him to go pray for a man like Saul. Hallelujah. What do you say, an evangelist? I'm saying that God wants you to recognize something. He works through superstars. He works through Billy Graham and, and Benny Hinn and, and Jimmy Swaggart and, and 101 others, big names. And God works through pastors and evangelists and, and prophets and teachers and the various offices, yes. But he also wants you to know that he wants to work through regular people just like you, sir, and just like you, ma'am in establishing his kingdom. He works through regular people. A regular person by the name of Ananias was chosen to do something totally irregular for the kingdom of God. This regular man is going to be beckoned by God onto the realm of risk or the waters of the realm of risk. Number four, regular people have to recognize that there is a need for readiness in hearing God's request for risk and responding to it. God wants to move through regular people, and some of you sit here tonight and think, well, I'm a regular person, but God's not asking me to take a risk. Well, maybe he's asking, maybe you're just not hearing. There's got to be a readiness to hear and to respond. Notice the text with me again. I read it to you a moment ago there in verse 10. The Lord speaks and says, Ananias. And Ananias responds, Lord, I'm here. 
Let me run a parallel for you. Let me show you a difference or a dichotomy, if I might. Notice verse 4 of the same chapter. We didn't read it in our chief text, but I referenced it a moment ago in laying the contextual background. God says to Saul, Saul, Saul. Now, why does he call Saul's name twice and Ananias once? I've got two children there at home that I referenced a couple of times today, Hagen Samuel and Addison May. And there are times that their mother and I speak to them in the following fashion. Addison. Addison May. Somebody said, well, what's wrong with her hearing? Nothing. She doesn't have hearing aids. She doesn't need hearing aids. She hears well. There are times that she is not in a position where she can hear and respond to my instruction. Come on, saints. I said she's not ready to hear. It's not that she can't hear. She's not ready to hear. Every mom and daddy in here better say amen. I'm going to come get you right now. They can hear. They're not ready to hear. Come on, saints. That's what I'm telling you here tonight. God wants to use regular people, but regular people must be ready to hear God's request for risk. Let me show you something in the Scripture that I think is, is very interesting. Turn with me to the Gospel of St. John, just a few chapters back. The Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, from our chief text. John, chapter 20. What's happening in John, chapter 20? Jesus has now been crucified 72 hours later, three days later, he is now risen from the dead. Verse number 11. John 20, verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, the Bible says she stooped down, looked into the sepulcher, and sees two angels in white. One is sitting at the head, the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had been laying. They said to her, Woman, why do you weep? She said unto them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they've laid him. Verse 14. When she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Now, isn't that interesting? She saw Jesus. She saw the resurrected Christ, but did not recognize him. She knew not that it was Jesus. Can I tell you there's a reason that the Bible says he that has an ear. There's a reason the Bible doesn't say he that has an eye, let him see what the Spirit is doing because seeing oftentimes will mislead. We talked about seeing the Lord this morning and the necessity thereof. But remember, I also referenced the fact that the just live by faith and not by sight because sight can definitely mislead us. Notice what the text goes on to tell us. She sees him, does not recognize that it is the Lord. Verse 15, Jesus said unto her, Woman, why do you weep? Whom do you see? Notice this. She's supposing him to be the gardener. Preachers write this down. You can preach it sometime because it's a great, great, great message. She's supposing him to be the gardener. Be careful when you rely solely on what you see because when you rely solely on what you see, it will cause you to make suppositions that are not true. 
Oh, I'm preaching better than you're saying amen right there. I said it can cause you to make suppositions. You will begin to suppose things that are not factual. She supposed him to be the gardener. Said unto him, sir, if you've borne him anywhere, if you've taken him anywhere, tell me where you've laid him and I will go and take him. Verse 16, Jesus said to her one time, check it, Jesus said to her one time, what? He called her by her name. He said, Mary. Immediately she turned herself and said to him, Rabboni, master. She saw him and knew him not, but the first time he called her name, she was in a position where she was ready to hear. I said she was in a position where she was ready to hear here and she immediately responded and said it's you you're risen Lord you got to be ready to hear God's request for risk in your life ready to respond all right back to our chief text there must be a readiness number five notice with me verses 11 and 12 the Lord said unto him arise go into the street which is called straight Inquire the house of one called Saul. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Isn't that interesting? God is requesting Ananias to take a risk. Here's the risk that he wants Ananias to take. I want you to get up. I want you to go find a street called Straight. I want you to find the home of a man by the name of Judas. I want you to find a man in the home of Judas by the name of Saul, and I want you to lay hands on him and pray for him that he might have his sight restored. That's the risk that he's requesting of Ananias. But what he tells Ananias is that even now Saul is praying, and he's having a vision. Isn't that interesting? Ananias is having a vision, and simultaneously, Saul is having a vision. And by the way, isn't it interesting that according to the Bible, this blind man is seeing? Woo, hallelujah. I said the blind man is seeing. He's seeing in a vision, and he sees a man by the name of Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him and praying for him. How do you and I know, how do we have the assurance that God is requesting us to take a risk for the sake of his kingdom? One of the ways that we know is that God will always cooperate the request for risk. What do you mean by cooperate? I mean, God works on both sides of the equation. I said God works on both sides of the equation. Come on, saints. I mentioned to you just a few moments ago the, the Acts 6-4 conference, and we lose pastors, and we lose missionaries, and we lose evangelists, Christian educators, and, and laypersons that attend. We say, look, we, we don't want all the ministry to come from the pulpit. We believe that God has made you kings and priests. We believe that God has empowered you to minister one to another. You are the members of the body of Christ. So if you feel like you've got a word, if you feel like you've got direction, we release you to go to a person and speak and impart and, and, and minister uh, in liberty. But there's another side of that coin. I've also told people that if someone comes to you with a word, if someone comes to you with instruction, if someone comes to you with what they believe is divine direction, and if it's not cooperated in your spirit, if God's not already been dealing with you, if God's not speaking to you about that very thing, if you've never heard anything like that, if it's totally foreign to you, then be nice but reject it because it's not from God. 
Because when it's from God, it will always be cooperated. And if it's not from God, we should always reject uncooperated revelation. You did hear me say, be nice, right? Oh, Jesus. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times this man could say the same thing, that people have come to me in meetings. I got a word for you. Oh, well, that's good. Let me hear it. Can I pray for you? Man, can, can you pray for me? Come on with it. And I've been blessed many a time, and I've had many a thing that was, that was a direct download from God, but I've had some times when, when, when somebody was a million miles off. It did not resonate with my spirit. It was totally uncooperated. I knew it wasn't of the Lord. And you know what I did? I smiled and said, thank you. I appreciate that. And I let him turn and walk away. You don't have to be a jerk. Y'all say amen. amen. I said, you don't have to be a jerk. Just because you're right, guess what? You can be right and still be a jerk. That's where a lot of people find themselves. Be nice. Smile. Thank you. When they turn, say, Lord, I release that. It's not from you. Uncooperated revelation. Now notice this. I'm having more fun than you are, so let me try to end the pain as quickly as possible. Notice in verses 13 and 14 what begins to happen. Verses 13 and 14, you're going to see the engagement of human reason in the mind of Ananias concerning the request for risk that God is making of him. Verses 13 and 14. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man. Do you get... <laughs> Do you get the sarcasm of this verse? Read the Bible with, with, with some real life application, and it'll help you a lot. There's sarcasm all in this verse. God said, hey, I want you to go to the street called Straight to the home of Judas. I want you to find one Saul of Tarsus. Lay your hands on him and pray for him that he might gain his sight. And what is the response of Ananias? Lord... I know who this man is. Do you know who this man is? God, do you know who this joker is? This is the guy that killed Stephen. This is the guy that is leading the persecution against the church. This is the guy that has warrants now that if he finds anybody like me in this city, he can throw me in prison. You want me to go pray for that guy? Listen, God, I, I, I know you, maybe you didn't get enough sleep last night, but as far as I'm concerned, that guy's right where we want him. Just leave him blind. He'll serve you best that way. Come on, saints. Think about it. It's a monstrous risk that God is asking him to take. And what he does is he begins to engage the request for risk with his human reason. He begins to use his intellect. He begins to use his common sense. One of the most spiritual things that you can do, especially in the Pentecostal, charismatic, full gospel circles is this. Use your brain. 
Use common sense. There have been many things done in the name of the Lord that the Lord had nothing to do with whatsoever and brought great harm to the church and its testimony and could have been prevented if somebody would have just took a little time to think. Hallelujah. And he begins to reason. I said he begins to reason. There are super spiritual people in every congregation that say things like, well, if God ever comes and requests you to take a risk, if God ever asks you to do something, say something, give something, go somewhere, whatever it might be, you just be a man or woman of great faith. Don't ever stop and think. Just step out and execute it. You know what that tells me when people say things like that? They've never done anything for the kingdom of God, and God's never asked them to do anything. Because the first thing you're going to do when God requests you to take a risk, you know what the first thing you're going to do is? You're going to back away from it and say, wait a minute. Is this God? Is this the devil? Or is this the pizza I ate at 1 a.m. this morning? What in the world is talking to me right now? Come on, saints. That's the way you're going to know. You're going to back away from it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where is this coming from? And there's nothing wrong with that. I encourage it. Use your reason and begin to weigh it out. Is this God? How do I know it's God? What if I do this? What if it goes good? What if it goes bad? Think, 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 think. And there's a way that you can always have your human reason satisfied. How can I have my human reason satisfied and how can I be assured that this request of risk came from the sovereign? It's right here in the text. Notice what God said in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go your way, do what I said do. Praise God. Go your way, do what I said do. What is God doing? He's repeating the request. It's a tool called repetition. Whenever a request is made of you to take a risk for the sake of the kingdom of God, and you begin to pause and reason, is this God, is this not God? Is this the devil? Is this me? The way that you'll know that it's God 10 times out of 10 is it will repeat itself. The cycle will come around, and the cycle will come around, and the cycle will come around. Did you hear me? It won't go away. You'll continue to hear it. You'll continue to receive that challenge. It'll come again. And if it came one time, there are a lot of people that live under condemnation. One time they felt like God told them to move to Africa and start a church. And, oh, bless God, I didn't pack up and sell everything and move to Africa and start a church. And, oh, I miss God, and I've been living under condemnation ever since. People that felt like one time God spoke to me to write a $1,000 check and put it in the offering, and I didn't do it. And, oh, my God, I've been living under a financial curse ever since. Let me stop and release some people from condemnation right here and tell you that if God said something to you one time and one time only, or at least you thought it was God and it was never repeated. It wasn't God to start with. So live free from that condemnation and go on and know that when God wants you to do something, he doesn't mind saying it two times, three times, five times, ten times. Thank God he is merciful. He is long-suffering. And he can say it more than once. He will repeat himself. Now, when we get the repetition, 
That's when we've got to move to the next stage. Because once the repetition came into Ananias' life, once he saw that God is saying this to me of a certainty because I'm hearing it again and again and again, then what happened? Verse 17 says, Ananias went his way and did as God had requested of him. It speaks about release. Once you get that repetition or the assurance that repetition brings, then there has to come a point of release. What are you saying? I'm saying I've already preached to you. Slow down. Don't get the, the cart before the horse. Take some time. Think about it. Pray about it. Make sure that it's God. But when you get the assurance of repetition and now you know surely this is God telling me to do this, there comes a point that you need to put on your big boy britches and do it. Come on, saints. I said you got to put on your big boy britches. There comes a point you must rise in faith and release what God has asked you to do. That's what the mother of Jesus said on the very first miracle that he worked at the marriage feast at Cana. They run out of wine. And she comes to Jesus and said, oh, this is a bad thing. We've run out of wine. We've run out of wine. You can do something about this. Jesus said, it's not time for me to do anything. She said, I don't care about that time. It's, you can do something about this. And she turns to those that were nearby, the servants. And what did she say? Whatever he says, do it, boys. Whatever he says. Come on, saints. You see, the question is never should we do what he says. The question is rather we must first ascertain is he speaking? That goes back to my first point. We must first ascertain is this God? Come on saints. And if it's him speaking then do exactly as he has commanded you to do. Whatever he says do it. Do it. Release it. And he releases into action. He prays for Saul just as God had instructed him to do. And notice this, because he released into action, he would receive a reward. I said he would receive a reward. I told you a moment ago that the Bible doesn't say much about Ananias. But here's the other side of that coin. The Bible does say something about Ananias. That's his reward. Come on, saints. The Bible does record the request made by God to him, and the Bible does record his willingness to go and do as he was instructed. Here's the man's reward. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away. So throughout time and eternity, the name and obedience of Ananias will always be recorded in the annals of God's word. He's rewarded by having his name and his obedience recorded in the book. Finally, he could have refused to take the risk. Did you know that? He could have refused to take the risk. We believe in self-will, free moral agency. We believe in choice. You had a choice to be here tonight. You had a choice not to be here tonight. What if he had refused to take the risk? What if he had said, this is too dangerous? This is too risky. If I go there, he might kill me. If I go there, he might have me arrested. If I go there, he may not even be there. This may be a wild goose chase. What would have happened if he had refused to take the risk that God requested of him? Here's what would have happened. Hear me. 
God would have replaced him. God would have replaced him. You see, God wants you and I to be a part of his kingdom and his supernatural work and revelation in this world. But if you and I refuse to be a part, God will replace you. God will replace me. Come on, saints. God will find somebody else that will. He'd prefer you. But if you won't, he'll find somebody that will. But I'm very thankful that Ananias refused to be replaced. I want to get in the same line with Ananias. When God makes a request of me, I don't want anybody else getting my reward. I don't want anybody else getting their name in the book. I don't want anybody else having their obedience rewarded by the, the, the divine one. I want to make sure that I am never replaced. All right, now we're getting ready. Just a few moments, I'll tell you what I want to do, and I felt this just prior to the service. Cresta, will you hand me one of those water bottles, please? I'm going to try to stay on the platform because I know the lighting helps the telecast. Thank you, the broadcast. Brandon, I want you to come and lead the altar tonight. Creston's going to help me pray for people. Now, I, want to, I want to show you something personal, personal, personal illustration, okay? Because I told you this is what I felt like God spoke to me. I felt like God spoke to me and said, um, I want you to risk more for the sake of the kingdom of God. A few months ago, as I was processing all this information, it's been over a year ago, I was preaching in Germantown, Ohio. I was preaching for Pastor James Setzer, Independent Pentecostal Church, great Sunday morning service, great Sunday night service, probably 175 in attendance on that Sunday night. Had a great altar time. Spent, I don't know, 30 minutes in the altar praying for people. I turned and handed the microphone back to pastor. It was behind the pulpit, and I walked off to what would be stage left to my seat. I picked up a bottle of water, turned the cap, placed that bottle to my lips, and I heard a voice. It wasn't an audible voice. It was in my spirit I heard a voice and that voice said to me go back and take the microphone from pastor and call a woman out of this congregation by the name of Jan and I drank my water and I said I rebuke that in Jesus name man this is a tough bunch tonight I know you all would have just ran back, took the microphone, and did what the voice told you to do, but I, I'm just not living there. I said, I'm not going to do that. Sitting there looking at me, some of you are thinking, well, now you've spent the last 45 minutes spitting and shouting and screaming and talking about faith and taking risk, and you don't even do what you preach that we should do. You said you believe in the supernatural. I do. I believe in the supernatural. I believe in things like that. I just like it when God uses people like you and leaves me alone. <laughs> and the reality is you like it when God uses people like me and leaves you alone. You see, that's our problem. We all like our routine. Don't rock my routine, man. I drank a little more water. You know what happened? That voice came again. 
I said, take the microphone, call a woman by the name of Jan. I said, God, don't make me do that. It's my first time to preach here. I'd like to come back. I'm serious. I'm being as transparent as possible. You know what happened? That voice came again. I said, take the microphone. Call a woman by the name of Jan. It seemed like 30 minutes. Might not have been 30 seconds. Tug of war. But one thing I noticed is that pastor had never said anything. He's holding the microphone, standing behind the pulpit. He's never said anything. He's never tried to take the service in a different direction. He's never tried to close the service. You know why? Because when God's working, he's working on all sides of the equation. The same God that was telling me to take the microphone was forbidding him from moving forward and saying anything. I finally acquiesced. I walked back to Pastor with great hesitation. I said, Pastor, could I see the microphone? He handed it to me, and I turned, and I told the congregation I was transparent with them. I mean, these guys know me. If there's one, if I have a fault, y'all didn't catch that. If I have a fault, <laughs> I am too transparent. I, I told those people that night, I said, what I'm about to do I am extremely uncomfortable doing. It's not that I don't believe in this. I most certainly do. And, and there have been times that I have practiced and, and flowed in these veins, but I'm not one of these guys that goes around week to week, church to church, and calls people out and has words and prophesies. I'm not against that. That's just not me. But I said I can't get away from the fact that I sense that the Spirit of God is, is clearly instructing me to call a woman out of this congregation by the name of Jan. I said, I don't know anything other than that. Your name is Jan. The root of your name is Jan. You might be Janet. You might be Janice. But your name has a root of Jan. And if that's your name, come forward. You know what the congregation did? They pulled a Maurice-ville Assembly of God on me. They sat there and just looked at me. <laughs> Nobody moved a muscle. And I mean, internally, I've done this for 20 plus years, but internally, there's this warfare going on. I mean, you know, I'm hearing alarm bells and whistles. I mean, come on. I'm hearing the onboard computer saying, Mayday, Mayday, pull up, pull up. I sat there and I looked. Now I'm looking for an out. I said, well, maybe your name's not Jan. Maybe you have a co-worker named Jan, a child named Jan, a niece named Jan. Maybe you got a dog or a cat you named Jan. I mean, I'm trying to get somebody to do something. All of a sudden to my left, it would be your right, are two women about 75 to 80 years of age who were seated side by side, one of those ladies, God is my witness, I looked over and she raised her hand with great hesitation. I looked and she raised her hand kind of like this. <laughs> I 
And by now, I'm under so much pressure and stress. I mean, I'm, I, I'm like an auctioneer. I mean, if you wiggle your ear, I'm, hey, you sold! <laughs> I said, sis, you, 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 ma'am, what is it? She said, my name is Janice. Now, here's a question for you. Why didn't Janice save me all that stress and all of that meltdown and respond the first time I called her? And I answer that question with this question. Why didn't I take the microphone from Pastor the first time God told me? Why don't you do what God asked you to do the first time? You better be glad that God always repeats himself. Just as he repeated himself to me, he repeated the call to Janice to give her the assurance, it's all right, this is me. I said, Janice, you're the lady. She came forward that night, and God had a special word for her, and the pastor testified to me months later. He said, you wouldn't believe the miraculous change that has occurred in that dear sister's life since that particular moment. And not only that, it blew the lid off that service Fifty people came rushing back to the altar shortly thereafter, and we were in the altar another 45 minutes. I mean, it was, it was powerful. Now, I said all of that to say this, and we're going to open these altars and pray for people. I, I sense the presence of the Lord moving in this place right now. God's getting ready to do something great if you'll let him. If you'll let him. Hear what I'm about to tell you. I'm done. This will sound self-serving. It's not meant to be. I'm just trying to illustrate how I personally am navigating this charge of God. Hear me. I'm a good preacher. I'm a good Bible expositor. Pastor mentioned it this morning, and that's very kind and gracious of him to say so. I know that. I study and I work to be that. Hear me. I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing right now. But you see, what God was illustrating to me that night, he was saying to me, yeah, you're comfortable preaching your messages that you've studied and tooled and detailed and, and you've worked your vernacular and your vocabulary and you've aligned all the ducks in a row, and you've crossed every T, and you've dotted every I, and that's good because you're supposed to work. Study to show yourself a workman, approved of God. But what God was saying is, now what I'm calling you to do is come on away from your comfort zone. Come on away from the predictability of the message that you've tooled and crafted. Come on out here on the waters of risk. Come on out here where you don't know what the next moment's going to hold. You don't know what the word, next word is you're going to speak. You don't know what's going to happen. You're not able to predict it down to the T. Come on out here, big man, and take a risk. Can I tell you? I don't know what God's going to ask you to do. He's not going to ask us all to take the same risk. But I'm assured of this. He's going to ask you to take a risk. I've told people in these altar calls, you know, there are people that attend our churches 
from no religious background to all kinds of religious backgrounds. Do you know there are people that attend our churches that, that just to get them to raise their hands in a public service, that's real risky. They're real uncomfortable with that. Hear this evangelist tonight. If you're one of those people, if that's all we get from you tonight is you to raise your hands and worship God, then I celebrate with you because you've gone further than you've ever gone before. That's all I'm going to ask that we do in this altar tonight. I'm going to ask you to simply go further than you've ever gone before. Whatever your comfort zone is, if you normally pray in the altar for five minutes, I encourage you to pray for seven tonight. Come on, saints. Stand with me. You know, there, were, there was once a time when there were people that were convinced this earth was flat. Flat earthers. There may be some of you here tonight that are flat earthers. They're flat earthers that are very adamant. If you're here tonight and you'd like to have that discussion, please see pastor after the service. <laughs> they said, don't you sail beyond this point on the map. Don't go beyond our chart because if you do, you'll fall off the earth and die. Listen to me. But I'm so glad there were men that made up their mind, we're going to take a risk. We know, they say, that that's the end of the earth, but we're going to take a risk. We're going to sail a little further than anybody's ever sailed before. I'm telling you, I'm believing God's talking to his church in this hour and saying, I want you to go a little further, pray a little longer, give a little more. Do more work than you've ever done. Take a risk for the sake of the kingdom. Raise your hands. Father, in Jesus' name. Pastor, I want you to come. Creston, I want you to come. Father, in Jesus' name, in the next few moments, I believe you're going to begin to work supernaturally because you're a supernatural God. I believe your supernatural work will accompany the preaching and the teaching and the instruction of the word that's been given tonight. As your word has been spoken, I have sensed that faith has started to stir and faith has started to arise. Now, in the next few moments, men and women are going to come for forward, and they're coming forward to go further than they've ever gone before. Take us there, Lord, in Jesus' name. If you're here tonight, this is the simple altar call that I want to make. Every man and every woman that would say, Evangelist, I'm willing to take a risk for the kingdom of God. I don't know what God's going to ask me, but I'm expecting him to make a request known to me in days to come, and I'm willing to take that risk. I'm willing to go further than I've ever gone in Jesus' name. If that's you, if you're willing to take a risk for the kingdom, come on, come and stand. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, move quickly. Move quickly in Jesus' name. Come on. Come and stand in this altar. Lift your hands and begin to worship God for the next few moments. I said, come on. Come lift your hands and begin to worship God in the name of Jesus. If it's risky for you, if it's uncomfortable for you to raise your hands, I encourage you. If that's as far as you get in your journey tonight, I celebrate that travel with you. For some people, it's real risky for them to open their mouths and say anything audible in a service. If all you do tonight is get the freedom of opening your mouth and saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Then I celebrate that journey with you tonight.
right now on this altar, there are men and women that have never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You have never spoken in another language that you do not know or have not learned by the empowerment of the Spirit. I implore you tonight. I beg you tonight. Would you open your mouth and take a risk? Open your mouth and take a risk. And you'll find God will grant a reward. I said, you'll find God will grant a reward. Come on, in Jesus' name. Some of you have never been able to publicly share the gospel. You've never been able to walk across the street and knock on your neighbor's door and say, I want to tell you about a man named Jesus. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, press, saints. Press, push, push tonight. tonight. Go a little further than you've ever gone. I challenge you tonight. I challenge you tonight. Push beyond your religious routine. Push beyond the comfort of what you've always done and what you've always said. Push beyond tonight. You'll find that God is in the beyond. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Thank you. 
Jesus. Come on, saints. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Sail a little farther than you've ever sailed before. Come on. Cut your ship loose from the safety of the harbor of routine and set sail on the uncharted waters of risk. you. Let him help you tonight. Let him help you tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
We're going to sing it one more time. Pastor's going to come. Hear me. This is my final instruction. 2020, an unprecedented year. Unfortunately, 21 has not changed. Hear what I'm saying. There's a spirit in this world that is currently giving us this charge. Retreat. 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 Now listen, I'm not discouraging or shaming anyone for isolating. If you have health reasons, my parents watching tonight, I mentioned, are doing just that. I'm not knocking you for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. I'm telling you, the spirit of Antichrist is screaming in our ear. Back down. Back up. Shut up and retreat. Hear me. God's not in such. It's time tonight that we make up our mind. We burn the bridges. There's nothing to go back to. There's only one way for the people of faith. Forward is the way. I said forward is the way. Hear me. If you can be turned back, if you can be turned back, you will be turned back. But I'm making up my mind. I will not be turned back. I'll not be turned back. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's around the next turn. But I know this. I'll not be turned back. There's only one way for me, and that's forward. Come on, lift your hands. Father, take this congregation forward. 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 Forward is the prophetic word for you tonight. Forward, forward, forward into your future, into your destiny, into what God has called you to be, into what God has destined you to be, into what God has ordained you to be. Personally and corporately, the Lord is saying, come up. Come up, come up, come up, come up, come up, come up. For those that will, a door is open. Come up, come up, come up with me. Higher, 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 higher in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name.